0: The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc.
1: Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, Wall Street trading legend Blair Hull is in the studio. We'll get his take on his new ETF, on market timing, and on the crash of 1987 and the lessons that he learned in it. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Welcome to the Money Beat podcast. Paul Vini and Steven Grosser here with you. And, you know, Grosser, I've been thinking so much about what I wanted to talk to about, what I wanted to talk to our guest today about, and, and the different things. that are, I didn't even think of how to introduce him and, and what kind of, you know, sharp, snazzy <laughs> introduction I would have. So I hate to say it, but I don't have one today. That's actually a surprise. I know. I, no, it's actually not. It's really <laughs> bad. Uh, So I will just say simply that that sitting to my right today is a a, a trading legend. Um, I'll butter him up a little bit. Yeah, trading legend Blair Hull. Uh, if you don't know who he is, you should Google him after you listen to this because you're going to learn a lot about him. Uh, we have him in the studio today. It's going to be really. This is going to be interesting. When you're going to hear about this one a lot, you're going to learn a lot about high frequency trading, the markets. And all that kind of good stuff. Uh, look, Blair, how are you? Welcome to the Thank show. Thank you.
0: Me. Good to be here. Just
1: for a little background, folks. Blair has been in the markets for a long time, uh, very famous, and we'll talk about it a little later for Black Monday, 1987. One of the the few people that didn't get wiped out on that day. He was in the pits in Chicago. Uh, later formed his own trading company, which he sold to Goldman Sachs for about 500 million in 1999. It's good money back. It's good money today, but it was even better money back then. Uh, and now is you're back in the market. Now you have your own ETF that you are taking in money for and maintaining and trading. So
0: I guess you're in you're in New York
1: today, talking, kind of drumming up business for that. Or what, what brings you to New York today?
0: Uh, well, we're talking to people about the ETF. We're talking about the stigma of market timing that has existed for um, sixty seventy years, and and how that has changed uh, with the advent of uh, data that we didn't have previously. We've had this explosion of data that started to occur in about two thousand. We have the government producing data they didn't produce, we have the Internet, uh, we have Twitter feeds. Mm-hmm. All kinds of this is just explosion of data. At right. the same time we have analytical techniques that we didn't have. We've got cars that are driving themselves. We've got credit scoring. You never if your credit cards ever decline, that's because of an algorithm. Just blame an algorithm. <laughs> uh, right. Nothing to do with uh, you. you. So, with this advent of an explosion of data and new analytical techniques, there's been a shift in the academic financial literature that said, says that now returns are predictable and it's wise to use that in a portfolio. And so, that's what uh, this ETF does. It's, it really uh, addresses the market timing issue. So, when did you launch this ETF? It was launched in June of 2015.
1: And, you know, obviously, just one question is, August was a pretty seminal moment for a lot of ETFs, and, you know, it got a lot of headlines. How did you you guys hold up
0: during the market sort of turmoil uh, in August? Uh, When we launched the product, we were about 80% long, and we go strictly by the model. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a paper uh, that's on our website uh, and that is on SSRN, uh, Social Science Research Network, uh, so we're fairly transparent about this because it's such a difficult problem. But we were about 80 percent long during that period. And somehow the model went down to about 60 percent long uh, because of a couple, couple factors or it went down to 30 percent long as we entered that August period. And as a result, we uh, have outperformed since that time. Do, do
1: you how how slavishly do you follow the model?
0: I have to tell you, it's 100%. It's 100%? Um, you know, the problem with market timing that we've had the stigma is because investors get emotional at tops and bottoms, and they can't control. I mean, you just can't control your emotions. You think you could out-second guess your system. Um, but you've got to realize I came from a blackjack mentality where I was a card counter for five years. I spent five years... I spent 50 days a year for five years playing blackjack, which was the source of my capital to get into the markets, and I had to be disciplined as to what the count was, and I bet according to, in proportional my capital and in proportional to the advantage I had, and I had to be religious about that, and we're sticking to that religion. Uh, with our system. And I think that's one of the problems that people have with market timing and why it is a bad idea for the average individual. But institutions at large with people that have the capacity to gather the data, to analyze it using these advanced techniques, will in fact get an advantage in the marketplace.
1: You know, I I pulled up uh, an article that Forbes wrote about you it was just about six months ago. Okay, so it was the beginning of September, and I was talking about one of your analysts who was working. You know, sort of a, an anecdotal lead, right? With one of your analysts who's working on the algorithm, and, and at one point they say in the paper that the algorithm. Yeah, you know, let me just pull up the exact page, That the algorithm algorithm said in the next six months that it would return. It predicted. That the expected return on stocks for the next six months, this is back in September, would be 1.82% on an annualized basis over the next six months. Yeah. Uh, the S&P is, is, the price of it, not annualized, is 3.2%. And I was trying to actually figure out what the annualized return would be over the last six months. I was trying to figure out how close you got to it. <laughs> uh, it, it sounds
0: like you got pretty close. Well, it does sound like it's, it's close. But th- this is not... Um you're not going to get this right all the time mm-hmm. even though we've gone through and looked at all the academic literature i'm not i, I think we missed a few papers but <laughs> we, we, we've certainly uh, uh, looked at a lot uh, everything that's been written that we can find that's credible uh, and it's still, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in predicting the market. If, some, if this were that easy, somebody would have done it a long time ago. So we have a slight advantage. I think in the long term, we're going to still, one out of three years, we're going to underperform. Um, so the fact that we're up right now, yes. The fact that we're using sophisticated techniques that, and, and the best data, we're doing the best we can. But on the other hand, we're not going to outperform every year.
1: Can you sort of talk to me about the the sort of evolution of using sort of algorithms to sort of mine the data? As you said, there's been an explosion. And I know a lot of people, you know, for years have sort of been – or like for the last decade have been trying to build this. Are we at a point now where, you know, uh, we're able to do this a lot more effectively?
0: Well, I think that uh, technology and information is always evolving. We're doing everything better than we did before. Um, But it is, um, there has been sort of a leap into machine learning from statistical techniques that uh, these these techniques were developed in the 60s. Or no, not in the the 90s, in the 90s. Uh, The uh, neural networks uh, that were um, actually had a... They were very well thought of in the late '90s, but did not actually perform as they were predicted to. Well, with the advent of inexpensive computing, now neural networks, which are very complex and it's impossible to interpret the model, uh, those have now come into vogue again. Especially as we've seen that um, we a computer beat the uh, the chess champion in the '90s. Now right. he beat the Go champion right. just recently using deep learning and and, and yeah. neural networks. So, um, but uh, these techniques continue to evolve, and we get a little better little better every single year.
1: Yeah. You know, on the other hand, and you had before we got on the air, folks, we were talking a little bit, and you had mentioned Twitter briefly and whether or not Twitter yeah. can be part of your algorithm. Yeah, uh, and. Yes, machine learning has gotten much better. But, I mean, did you see that story last week about Microsoft came out with this this AI bot that they were going to use and they fed it through Twitter and Twitter was supposed to teach it and within 24 hours, the thing was spewing out just ridiculous, hate-filled, racist messages because everybody was just plugging in as a joke, as a goof. They were just plugging in ridiculous messages to it on Twitter and that's what it learned. So, what do you, what do you make of Twitter? You know, like yeah you can glean something i 'm sure out of Twitter, but and i 'm on Twitter all the time i 'm not trying to slag Twitter but uh, h- how much weight can you really put on you know social media as a as a place to get information
0: well first of all it's extremely complex with language processing mm-hmm. and so you have to have a linguist that can actually develop algorithms that give you the proper in what was the intended meaning out of this. Yeah. And so that there are linguists. So a lot of the companies that are studi- are going through Twitter are, don't have the sophisticated linguists uh, t- to, uh, that, are, that are coming up yeah. with the right answers. But then you still have the situation where um, what what means something today is not going to mean something in two years. It's going to mean something different. Mm-hmm. And so you have this changing, this evolution of changing meanings uh, which is difficult to pick up um, with standard statistical techniques. So you got a couple things going on.
1: Yeah. So, in other words, this could be a good time for linguists. This could be like a, yes. the salad days for linguists. They're coming back into vogue. I, I sent him as too. one of those. <laughs> I sent
0: him as a company that does have yeah. um, very good linguists in
1: all right, let's take a quick break here. Uh, we have an important message for you, and we will be back with Blair Hull on the other side of it.
0: I'm John Wardock.
1: Want updates on the biggest stories of the day? Then listen to What's News from the Wall Street Journal. From top business stories. Apple says if they weaken the security of their phones, they make their customers' data more vulnerable. To the economy. I think American consumers is uh, uh, alive and doing well. To election 2016. Today's a big day in presidential politics, obviously. It's the day of the New Hampshire primary check back several times a day and enjoy what's news from the wall street journal
0: wsj podcasts listen ambitiously now back to the show
1: welcome back paul vini Stephen grocer with blair hull and and blair you're you kind of made your bones back in 1987 rather famously on black monday everyone knows about it um i would be remiss if i didn't try to glean something out of what you did on that day that our, our listeners can take a lesson from you know what happened on that day. What happened on that day, folks? Is the S and P five hundred, the Dow, they lost twenty twenty five percent in one day, the worst single day in trading history. Uh, the man sitting on my
0: right cleaned up. How did you clean up on that day? Um, well, I, I, I did provide liquidity. At a, at a key point in time mm-hmm. that just happened to be the bottom of the market. Right,
1: right. you had a seat on the, the Chicago board, right? Yes, yeah. yes.
0: But I was really trading. We were trading options. We had about 19 people in the firm who were trying to buy cheap options and sell expensive options. And one of those, uh, the, the Board of Trade had a contract called the Major Market Inter- Ind- Index, which was a, a mirror of the Dow average. Okay. And at the same time, the S&P 500 was trading at the Chicago Mercantile. Well, what happened is in the mid-morning, there were rumors that the Chicago Mercantile was going to shut down. For all practical purposes, the New York Stock Exchange was not, they weren't answering the phones. Mm -hmm. They were really to essentially shut down, and the Merc was going to, um, they were going to shut down, too. So I sent everybody, I I said, go to the library and find out what's happening on trading (laughs) halts. Now, this is sort of ridiculous because we've got 19 people in the firm. We're at war. I can't send somebody. And so about half an hour later, I called back to the desk. I said, be long on the halt. So the whole firm was trying to get long at this point in time. Then it ends up on timestamps, three minutes before the halt, Drexel Burnham comes in and whispers to me in the crowd because I'm in the major market index. I'm the, the reason I'm there is... You're I'm, literally in the pit. I'm in the pit yeah. trading myself. The, I'm the only guy in the firm that has the, the seat that can actually go trade in that pit. And we had a major position in that, in, in the major market index. Mm-hmm. So, so we, I'm the only person <laughs> there. And I am a small buyer because we're trying to buy those and sell other things. One of the things the Fed did is they said they tripled the margins. They panicked tripled the margin. So every wow. trader had to get out of his positions and uh, it was ironic <laughs> that most of the times in panic times there are more people in their pits. There are more people participating. In this case, there were fewer. Wow. People were taking, they were going to the banks, putting their money in paper bags and getting out of town. This is the only time I've ever seen in a panic that pits aren't just completely crowded. Wow. Um, but what, what happened is that... Uh, he says, where will you buy 100 And I gave him a – I was I was a little bit trained to – no matter what happens, if a broker asks you where he where will you do something, you give him an answer even though it's a ridiculous price. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's got an option. Right. It.
1: So you gave him an option. I yeah, gave
0: yeah. him an option. he said, you own him." Wow. And I sort of I, – I swallowed. <laughs> 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 My God. We were long to start with. Yeah. Now we <laughs> – yeah, and then later he says, "I'll sell you another 50. So it was 150 contracts that traded two points below the the, the lowest price, and that that was the low uh, during that uh, that time, and and that was um, worth a considerable amount of money. Two and a half hours later, uh,
1: there's been such a, or, or maybe there hasn't been. You could you could kind of give us a, a take on this. In my mind, there's been such a big change in the markets from 1987 to 2016. Uh, a big part of that is high-frequency trading, the automation of the exchange of the whole market. Really, uh, what do you make of the changes that have occurred over the last almost thirty years now?
0: Well, when I went into, I remember I went down to the Pacific Stock Exchange in 1976. I said, "This is ridiculous. Somebody should write a computer program to automate this whole thing." Now, my direction, the direction of where we were going, was right. My I mean, timing was off by about thirty years. <laughs> but I, I. Um, uh, Overall, the investor is much better off than he was before. If you look at the spreads, uh, they're minuscule compared to what they were in the 90s. Um, and so um, there, there are some there's some real issues which we're working through with circuit breakers and the SEC uh, has made some mistakes in, uh, in, uh, in their regulation, which has created, created a bad situation. But I think that overall, the investor is much better off. How is the underlying sort of technology, too, like especially like the exchanges and stuff,
1: um, how is that improving to keep pace with the sort of high-frequency trading that we're seeing pick up?
0: Well, um, we now have 13 exchanges, which creates a problem. We now have a competitive situation among exchanges, but because of the... The cost to get to 13 exchanges by a trader that must access, he really has to be on all exchanges to be competitive. It's ended up to be an oligopoly of of market makers and traders. So we actually have fewer large market makers than we have exchanges. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. We have thousands and thousands of traders, tens of thousands of traders before. And now we have a few large traders. That make markets in almost everything and have the connectivity between the thirteen exchanges, uh, but there are fewer there are fewer traders now that can can uh, can actually make a living huh. as a trader
1: do you and we got a a hard out actually from the studio, so this is actually going to, have to be the last question but uh, i don 't think you correct me if i 'm wrong but I don't think you need to do this to make money anymore. Are you doing this? Why are you doing? Why? Why now? Why not just retire and well, go to Bora Bora and you know?
0: If if we can get a an exchange traded fund uh, that can actually um, have an edge on buy and hold, I I sit on the boards of foundations that would be well served by this kind of product. Um, I think that, and I think the stigma of. Market timing is wrong. Uh, And that just as it's been considered irresponsible to time the market in the last 30 years, in the next 30 years it will be considered irresponsible not to time the market.
1: Hmm. All right. uh. I'm saying this, and it sounds stupid because you hear people say it, but actually uh, I wish we had more time, but we don't. Uh, yeah. We actually okay. do have a hard out, and we have to leave the studio. But we, we could do this again. We could do this another time. You don't have to be in New York. We'd actually have you on the phone sometime too. So uh, we'd love to talk to you again. Fun to do it. Thanks. All right, Blair, thanks for coming in. And uh, listen, this is uh, you will hear more from us this week. we got more interviews and more markets to talk about, so we'll catch up with you soon.